All right, well, we are now on the home stretch in our series in James. This is week 10 in a 12-week series. And today we have an interesting, uh, relatively short passage to look at. And it's all on the subject of how we talk about and think about the future. Now, all of us think about the future to some extent. Uh, that's part of what it means to be human, right? Some of us are planners. Some of us just kind of go with the flow. But most of us have expectations about what's going to happen. And all of us, at least to some extent, try to exert some control over what's going to happen in the future. And what James does in this passage is he contrasts a wrong way of thinking about the future with a right way of thinking about the future. And since we all think about the future, this is a very relevant thing for every one of us, something that we need to understand. So let's jump right in. Uh, the passage will be on the screen, uh, but I encourage you to follow along in a, in a Bible if you have one with you. Uh, we're picking up right where we left off last week. This is James 4, 13 through 17. James 4, 13 through 17. Uh, but before we read this, let's bow our heads and say a quick prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, for this community. Uh, we thank you for um, each one of our brothers and sisters here. And we thank you for the chance to look at your word together. God, I pray that you'd help us to be attentive to it. I uh, pray that you help our minds not to drift or be distracted. pray that you just help us to, to focus on uh, hearing uh, through your word what you want to tell us. Uh, we know that your word is powerful, God. Uh, we know that it has the ability to transform our minds and uh, transform our behavior uh, for the better. And so, God, we just ask that you give us ears to hear as we read this now. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. All right. So James gives us the wrong way of thinking about the future first and the right way second. The wrong way says, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. The right way basically says the same thing, but with the addition of one very significant phrase, one little phrase that makes all the difference, if it is the Lord's will. If it is the Lord, Lord's will. Uh, now, like pretty much all passages in the Bible, it's really important to recognize not only what the passage means, but also what it doesn't mean. And there are two ways I can think of that we might misunderstand what James is saying here. So the first thing that we might think he's saying is that making plans for the future is wrong. Uh, that if we go to a job interview and we're asked, where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, then the godly thing to say is, how should I know? What will be, will be. Um, that's what we, what we might call the fatalistic attitude. And the fatalistic attitude says, whatever God has planned, God's going to do. It's going to happen no matter what. 
uh, no matter what I do. So it just doesn't matter, you know, what, what, anything that I do. Um, it would actually be wrong for me to plan for the future. But that way of thinking about things cannot be what God wants from us. Uh, for one thing, there's this whole book in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, uh, and it reminds us multiple times, over and over again, that wise people plan for the future, and foolish people don't make plans. They just kind of let life happen to them. So, of course we need to make plans for the future. You know, it's irresponsible not to make plans for the future. And notice, in James' example, uh, the person who thinks about the future rightly still does make plans, right? Because they still talk about doing this or that. We will do this or that. Uh, so it's not planning ahead that's the real problem here. Uh, we shouldn't have a fatalistic attitude towards life because God does empower us to make choices and influence the future. Uh, he wants us to engage with life. A couple months ago, I gave a sermon here on this whole idea that we're made in the image of God, and that what that means is that we've been created to rule. You know, God rules, and then he imparts some ability to us to also rule and to reflect that rule. So he doesn't want us just to have a fatalistic attitude. He wants us to use the influence, the, the abilities that we have to create and shape the future. Um, a second thing that we might think that James is saying if we're very literalistic, uh, is that we're supposed to punctuate everything that we say about the future with that phrase, if the Lord wills. Um, next week I'm going on vacation, if the Lord wills. I am making chicken marsala for dinner tonight, if, <laughs> if the Lord wills. This afternoon I'm going to play frisbee, if the Lord wills. Uh, but that can't, that can't be right also, right? I mean, come on. There's nothing wrong with saying God willing now and then, but if you said it all the time, that would be really annoying. Uh, and it would, what, it, what it would become is a hollow religious ritual, right? And James is definitely not a fan of that sort of thing. God is definitely not a fan of that sort of thing. What James is talking about here is not so much what we say when we're talking about the future, but the attitude that we have when we say it. Okay, so notice he says, as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. So the problem he's trying to correct is an arrogant attitude about the future. Uh, you might remember that last week, the topic of the passage was humility. All right? We talked about how important humility is. We talked about how humility is like this gateway into the presence of God. Um, and it's like an antidote to so many of the problems that we experience in our communities. Well, James is still talking about humility here. Uh, and he's saying there is a humble way of thinking about the future, and there's an arrogant way of thinking about the future. Now, the arrogant way of thinking about the future has two qualities that I can see in this passage. And we're going to spend some time today talking about each of these qualities. The first one is certainty. So the people that James is talking about uh, they don't seem to have any doubt about their, their ability to execute these plans that they have, right? As far as they're concerned, they're going to go to another city and they're going to make money. That's that. Now, a humble attitude recognizes that as good as a plan might be, there's just no guarantee that it's going to work out. Uh, especially a business venture. Uh, the people might not want what they're selling, right? Uh, they might actually lose money on the whole trip. or 
Uh, maybe they get to the city and everyone's buying what they're selling, but then there's an earthquake or a sinkhole just opens up right under the shop and swallows them up. I mean, this stuff is rare, but it happens. They don't know for sure. And the fact is that if we are honest with ourselves, the details of our future are rarely give, guaranteed, um, no matter how much we plan. Now, there are a few things about the future that God wants us to be certain of. So I don't want to deny that. Uh, he wants us to be certain that Jesus is one day going to return. Uh, he wants us to be uh, certain that Jesus is going to judge the world and set things right and establish a kingdom that's going to last forever and be awesome and amazing. You know, he wants us to have complete faith and confidence in those things. But other than those, those few things that he explicitly promises, the future is uncertain to us. Now, this attitude of certainty about the future that we sometimes have, it comes from an illusion of control. Uh, we want to feel like we're in control, so we try to convince ourselves that we actually are. But we're not in control. Uh, and James has some strong words for us to remind us of that, which they're a little hard to hear. Uh, he says in verse 14, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So James is saying, you know, how ridiculous is it for you guys to think that you can have certainty about the future? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your, your life in the grand scheme of things is this fleeting, fragile thing. Sometimes I think it's good for us to be reminded of how out of control we are. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I want us to do a little exercise right now. Um, in a moment, I'm going to ask us to close our eyes uh, just for a few seconds and to try to be as quiet as possible. And while you're doing that, I'm going to ask you to bring two things into your conscious awareness that usually you're not thinking about. Okay? Um, so ready? Okay. Close your eyes. Be very still. Okay, the first thing that I want you to take a few seconds to be mindful of is your breathing. So all day, every day, waking or sleeping, you take in air and you breathe it out. You breathe in that air in your lungs, uh, bring the oxygen in that air into your blood, which then carries the oxygen throughout your body and keeps your cells alive. Right? Now, if your brain cells go without oxygen for just as little as three to four minutes, you become brain dead. So every day, all day, that breathing keeps you alive. Okay, keeping your eyes closed, all right, be very still. The second thing I want you to be mindful of is your heartbeat. If you can't feel it at all, you might want to put your fingers on your wrist. That always made me squeamish. It still does. Um, hopefully it doesn't bother you as much as it bothers me. But just take a moment to be mindful of your heartbeat. So again, all day, every day, waking or sleeping, your heart is beating average of 60 to 100 times per minute. If your heart doesn't beat, 
then that oxygen that you breathe in, it doesn't get carried by the blood to the cells in your body. And if your cells don't get that oxygen, they die. Okay, so we can all open our eyes. So those two activities, breathing and your heart beating, totally essential to your survival, right? Now, if either of those two things aren't happening, you're not doing much else. And yet, we never think about them, do we? We don't tell our hearts to beat, right? We usually don't have to remind ourselves to breathe. And thank God for that, right? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine how annoying that would be if you had to consciously tell yourself all day, oh, I gotta remember to make my heart beat. I gotta remember to breathe. Um, what a life that would be. Instead, both of these activities are done involuntarily. Uh, there are these signals that come from our brainstem, and they tell our lungs to take in air, and they tell our hearts to beat. It's like this pulse, you know, from your brainstem. Um, but we are in conscious control of that, right? Every day we live, that signal, it keeps getting sent, but it's not our consciousness, it's not our will that's sending that signal. And so the point I'm trying to bring to our attention is, is that every day, our existence is not really in our control, okay? On a fundamental level, we are sustained and we're upheld by something other than ourselves. So if you're ever under the illusion that you're totally in control, uh, if you're feeling certain about the future, just stop and think for a moment about your breathing and about your heartbeat and think about that signal that's getting sent from your brainstem that keeps them going. And remember, it's, that's not in my control. Ultimately, that is a gift from God. So we're really not in control, uh, not just because we don't make our hearts beat and our lungs breathe, but for a bunch of other reasons too. The future has like so many variables and there's no way we could ever account for all those variables in our planning. And because of that, most of our future is uncertain. And a humble attitude, the kind of attitude that honors God, is the attitude that recognizes that. And I really want us to notice this uh, because sometimes we have a tendency to think that faith is all about being certain of things, right? Um, sometimes we think that the people of great faith are people who are just certain all the time. Uh, you know, they're certain that the church is going to grow. They're, they're certain that God is going to bless their business venture. They're certain that they're going to receive physical healing. Um, and like I said earlier, it's true. There are some things that God wants us to be certain of, the things that he has promised us. But there is so much that we can't be certain of. And, and good faith, humble faith, Right? The kind of faith that really honors God isn't about claiming to be sure about things that we can't really be sure of. Now, good faith doesn't deny the uncertainty. What good faith does is it trusts God in the midst of the uncertainty. So sometimes what passes for great faith is actually the arrogant attitude about the future masquerading as good faith. And we, we just need to be careful of that. All right, the second quality of the arrogant way of thinking about the future is that it doesn't think about God's will. Now remember, I said the one clear difference between the two attitudes is that one says, if God wills, and the other doesn't. So the problem with the business people, in James's example, uh, these guys who say, let's go to the city and make money, 
it's not that they have a plan. Uh, it's not even that they're hoping to make money. Making money is part of life. You know, it's something that, that we, we do, something we have to do. The problem is they haven't even considered if this is what God wants. Uh, they haven't been mindful of God. They aren't necessarily hostile towards him. Uh, they aren't deliberately going against his will, as far as I can tell. But they're just not thinking about him. Right? They're making their plans, they're living their lives, and the will of God, it's a background thought, if at all. They're forgetting God. Now, I suspect that if you met these guys that James is talking about, and you asked them, are you guys followers of Christ? Uh, they would say, oh yeah, you know, we, we go to the church in Jerusalem, we actually know James, the apostle. You know, he's actually Jesus' brother. Um, and they may very well be genuine believers in Jesus. I, I'm not trying to deny that they're actually people of faith, but they've allowed themselves to live in a way where they forget about God. Uh, they don't reject God, but they just forget about him. They're, they're living in such a way that they'll make a decision to go away for a whole year, away from their families, and they'll never ask the question, is this what God wants? Have we prayed about it? Is this what's best? They're just not asking those questions. And what James says is that uh, living that way is a boastful way to live. In other words, it's an arrogant way to live. The humble way to live looks at the possibilities in the future and the decisions that have to be made and asks, God, what do you want me to do? You know, do you want me to take this job? Do you want me to spend this money? Do you want me to go on this trip? Um, do you want me to invest my time in this project? Do you want me to pursue this relationship? The humble way to live asks those kinds of questions. And when the questions are asked, there isn't always a clear answer from God. I don't want to say that God always just says, this is exactly what I want. Um, sometimes he gives an answer, sometimes he doesn't. But the important thing, the humble way of life, is a life where um, you're asking the questions. You're taking the time to ask the questions. But the arrogant way of life doesn't ask. It might not reject God, but it's not actively pursuing his will. And what James wants us to recognize is that living out our faith should be more than just clearly avoiding bad stuff. Uh, it should be more than just not stealing, uh, not murdering, not committing adultery. It should be a life of actively seeking God's best. Uh, it should be a life of asking, Lord, what's your will? And I think that this is the idea that James is trying to get across in verse 17. Verse 17 is a little weird. It seems like it doesn't quite connect with everything that goes before. Uh, he says, uh, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Uh, now that might seem like an obvious statement, but it's actually pretty revolutionary. And I'll explain why. Uh, theologians like to talk about there being two types of sin, two basic types of sin. Sins of commission and sins of omission. So sins of commission are bad things that we choose to do. Uh, so things like stealing, murdering, committing adultery, that stuff. Sins of omission are good things that we fail to do. Uh, so say, this is a dramatic example, but say you're living in Na Nazi Germany in the 1930s and you're witnessing the uh, mistreatment and abuse of the Jews, but you don't say anything. You don't speak out against it. 
Now, maybe you're living your life avoiding stealing, avoiding committing adultery, avoiding violence, all that stuff, but when presented with this opportunity to do good, you just don't do anything. Uh, that's a sin of omission. It's an opportunity to do a good thing, you know you should do it, but you don't. And when you think of sin in this way, you realize, oh wow, I sin even more than I realized, <laughs> you know? Because every day there's a wealth of opportunities presented to you to do good. I mean, you can't even actualize all those possibilities because there's so many of them. Um, but when you think of sin not only as commission, but omission, it's like, oh man, I really do need grace. Um, and James is making this point that sins of omission are sins too. Because these guys who were making their business plans, they weren't necessarily doing anything bad. Right? Uh, at least in this example, they weren't guilty of any sins of commission that we know of. But they weren't actively trying to do God's will. They weren't actively seeking it. They were guilty of this sin of omission. They were going through life, making their plans, probably avoiding the bad stuff, right? but not seeking him. Uh, one way of putting it is that God's will had not become the sun in the solar system of their lives. Uh, when we are really living as God calls us to do, uh, everything in our lives becomes oriented around his will. Uh, his will becomes like the sun, and all the other things in our lives are like planets that orbit that sun. So you have the planet of our career, you know, the planet of our relationships, of our marriage, of our free time, of our money, and it should all be oriented around his will. Uh, but if we're in a frame of mind where we plan to go on a business trip for a whole year and we never even ask the question, is this what God wants, then probably something else is in the center of the solar system. I really think that uh, what James is saying here is relevant for us today, uh, maybe more so than any time, because it's really easy to forget about God today. Um, Science and technology are great. I'm not against science and technology, but the downside is they give us that illusion of control, right, which is characteristic of the arrogant way of thinking about the future. Um, and uh, they also help to meet all, our, all of our needs, which makes us more likely to forget about God, to not really ask what is God's will in this situation, but to just kind of let our own desires and, and the, the routines of life um, guide us. But what James is calling us to do is to go against that trend, to humbly recognize we're not God, and it's his will that matters most. So in a moment, um, I'm going to pray to close, uh, and we're going to have a brief period of reflection. And what I encourage you guys to do uh, during that time of reflection is just to ask, um, are there important decisions that I've made or that I'm about to make where I haven't asked if the Lord wills, you know, where I haven't um, brought him in uh, to the making of that decision, where I haven't consulted with him. And if there is an area, uh, whatever it might be, just take a moment to let God into that area. Um, ask him to show you his will and to give you the strength to follow it, whatever it might be. So, let's pray. Lord, we don't want to go through life uh, not, um, not making the most of 
the possibilities that you've created for us, God, uh, not seeking your best. Uh, Lord, we want to, to know your will, uh, and we want to experience it in our lives. And so I pray, God, that we would be people who ask, uh, is this your will? That we would not make major decisions without sincerely going before you and um, submitting our will to yours, God. I pray that you would uh, help us to trust you in the midst of the uncertainties of life, to know that um, there is so much that happens that we cannot predict. Um, I pray, God, that you would comfort us in the midst of that uncertainty, knowing that uh, you have good plans that will not fail. Um, and, Lord, uh, we just uh, ask for faith. We ask for great faith to trust you and to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name, amen.